Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week, well, I'll describe this person as an intellectual in the messy and visceral world of politics, a chess player and a teacher, both in the sense of the 64-square game and the realms of urban planning, resources, human relations, municipal services, all those areas, competitions as it were, that define the running of and life of a city. For 20 years, this person was a curious, thoughtful, often forceful presence on the Bloomington City Council, representing the downtown district. Due to remapping, this person ran for an at-large seat in last year's election and failed to gain a spot on the council. It'll be a different council now, in large part because this fellow is not on it anymore. He's shed his tears, presumably, but has swiftly bounced back and declared himself a candidate for Monroe County Commissioner in this year's election. I speak, of course, of Steve Volin. Steve, welcome to Big Talk. Thank you for having me, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Well, Steve, be honest now. Did you shed tears? I did not. I did did not not shed tears, no. Well, I always imagine any politician putting in all that time and effort, sweat and money, everything that you do to try to get elected. When you lose, it's like, oh my, what do I do now? What's my life all about? I thought about it a lot, but um, running at large uh, turns out to be a very, very weird experience. Seven people ran for three seats, and there were all sorts of things that are different from a traditional district mm-hmm. seat, a lot of which I didn't expect. But being uh, one of seven for three seats itself was pretty bad. My last name being at the very bottom of the ballot, when the three people who won were the top three names on the list, that didn't help any. (laughs) I'm going to change my name to Steve A.A.A. Volan. (laughs) I I have retired undefeated from District 6. I Uh served five terms there. And I was the author of the redistricting commission that zoned me out of District 6. So you did it to yourself, kind of uh, in, indirectly. I did it to myself. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the year, last year before the election, you were doing some talking about student representation on the council. Right. Interesting quote uh, by you: "There are enough students here, Bloomington, to justify three of the six district seats." Well, that's pretty much true. It's 40,000 out of 80,000 during the height of the school year. That's right, give or take a few thousand. Um, I said something even more radical, uh, which was that District 6 itself, the district I represented, could have been redrawn so that not only was it entirely students, uh, but it could have been redrawn to be entirely students living in university-owned housing. In other words, an entire district where everyone in it had a single landlord, namely the university. Uh, that's how big IU is, and that's actually what I held out for. I wanted to guarantee that there would always be a, uh, a student uh, on the city council. Now, I sort of got my wish because Sydney Zulik, who has become my successor, uh, she has technically graduated from IU, but she turned 21 days before the election, mm. and she is the youngest person ever to serve on the council, and I always said that my successor should be a student. But, I mean, Sydney has access to student networks in a way that I have never, ha- never had. I've s- tried to speak for students 
but I just wasn't an, an undergraduate myself. And it's very difficult to reach this particular kind of voter. Now, a hypothetical, what if there was adequate representation of the student population in Bloomington on the city council? How would that change things? What, what would the direction of the city council be if there were student representatives? I think there would be a lot more focus on the two-thirds of housing units in the city that are rentals. That figure is astonishing when you consider that across the state, the average uh, uh, percentage of rentals in a city is, in a second-class city like Bloomington, is 38%. Hmm. Um, So a focus on the needs of tenants would be a much bigger deal on the... um, actions of landlords that might be uh, infringing on the rights of tenants. Not that tenants have a lot of rights in the state of Indiana, mm-hmm. but um, certainly there would be more attention paid to um, housing and neighborhood development when the neighborhoods are uh, student neighborhoods. Um, I, uh, I vehemently opposed the creation a few years ago of a special housing district just for students. It's called mixed-use student housing, and it's the um, – the district entirely west of the stadium, mm-hmm. between Stadium and College Avenue, uh, Walnut Avenue, uh, Walnut Street, sorry, that, uh, that's been zoned specifically to be student housing. I mean, that is a clear case of segregation by age that I don't think is warranted. Uh, but uh, Do you see this in other college towns? Sure, but college towns in general uh, were always a misbegotten American idea. Mm-hmm. College, uh, the idea that college is a very urban phenomenon and colleges should all have been founded in cities big enough to absorb the very urban impact that they provide. Uh, uh, just the whole idea that you would call it a college town begs the question, you know, why do colleges house people? Why did American colleges found themselves in the middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. Consistently, you find that they were founded as far from a city as you could get, yeah. even though the people going to that college were very much not rural citizens. They were not going to be farming. They were uh, there to do things that city dwellers do. Uh, yeah. they, they needed to... College students are not farmers. Yeah, They need to eat, sleep, shop, recreate, blow off steam. They need to do things that are done in towns and cities, not in the middle of nowhere. How about all those colleges that are A&Ms, if you recall that? Agriculture and mining colleges. There were a lot of those schools founded um, after the Civil War, thanks to the Morrill Act, the Land Grant Act. Mm -hmm. Purdue was an example of a land grant university. I mean, there's always going to be a need to study agriculture, but not every school needs to be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, the same thing applies. Most of the students at that school have, the, have need of urban goods and services. Mm-hmm. So uh, we need to figure out a way to be able to live with if, – if we're going to have concentrations of students in small places, we need to live with it. Uh, we need to figure out ways to live with it. And that also means uh, treating them like the adults that they are, uh, whether or not we think they're mature enough, they're of age. Back in about uh, 1970, mm. 
the uh, county clerk was four square against students voting. Oh, yeah. Uh, that changed. Uh, there was a new county clerk uh, elected, uh, Grace Johnson, mm-hmm. I believe was her name. Right. Uh, who was four square in favor of students voting. And in fact, uh, the first 18-year-old vote under the 26th Amendment was right here. Mm-hmm. In Bloomington in uh, the fall of 71. Well, when you say uh, 1970, right, that was before the 26th Amendment was passed. Yep. The 26th Amendment was the fastest amendment ever adopted to the Constitution. It was adopted in four months from yep. its passage in mid-71, and that made Bloomington, which had off-year elections, ground zero for the 18-year-old vote. And uh, even if even if she had been opposed to 18-year-olds voting or to have students voting, by summer of 71, she didn't have a choice. Uh-huh. Yeah. That changed, that changed everything. That was a result, uh, just a quick history lesson here, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. If we're old enough to die for our country, we ought to be old enough to vote in yep. our country. Yep. Well, uh, you have gone out and knocked on doors and kept an ear open to voters. You know who the voters are. They know who you are. You're off the city council now, two decades worth of work. What did you do over those two decades that you're most proud of? That's a, that's a, 20 years is a lot to sum up there. Yeah. Uh, There's no one thing that, I mean, I'm most proud of having represented my district, which in this unusual city meant speaking on behalf of people who otherwise are all but politically ignored. Mm -hmm. Uh, Students are here, and they are voters. And uh, it's not anybody's fault that the university is here. Mm -hmm. We need to acknowledge that. And I think that I've done a good job of of raising the profile of people who are traditionally not heard from, especially because they are what I like to call at-large constituents. They're forced to move every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, students are forced to sign leases. Uh, oftentimes, in they're asked to sign a lease for next year in October of wow. this year. Yeah, and uh, it's just you know they they don't they don't stay in one place long enough to gain any kind of political local political sense. Uh, yet there are still a thousand warm bodies in each dorm every year. They deserve representation. So. Um, you know, I think that I've done a pretty good job of, uh, of raising their profile. Um, but as far as specific accomplishments, um, I'd like to think that, for example, the Parking Commission, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, Mayor Hamilton's first veto, actually, mm-hmm. and was overridden unanimously. Um, we, we've been uh, studying the phenomenon of parking and how to price it right so that it is effective. Uh, the parking management has parking. gone through several incarnations, at least as long as I've been here yeah. uh, th- since 2009 mm-hmm. in the city of Bloomington. Mm-hmm. So it's a fluid situation that you have to get. A, it's like holding a tiger by the tail almost. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, also, uh, I would say that expanding uh, Bloomington Transit's uh, zone of operation to outside the city Mm. was something that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't uh, initiated it. And I'm proud of that. I also think that, um, I mean, I just, there's so many, 
I haven't had to answer that question before. There was a lot. <laughs> so those are a couple of things. Steve Volin, a former city council member here in Bloomington. Uh, at times, he was the president of that august body. At times, he was the vice president. At times, he was the parliamentarian. Uh, he served uh, in a lot of ways uh, in this city. He's been on a couple of boards, the uh, Solid Waste Board, and uh, one or two others. Am I mistaken on the that? The MPO uh, board, I was on that as well. Um, yeah, I've been on a few things. The Metropolitan Planning Organization uh, Policy Committee. And not only that, you know, you're an entrepreneur, aren't you? Uh, I'm a damn fool, is that, that's what you're saying. <laughs> but yeah, I have started my own businesses, yeah. We're, we're not even getting into you being a teacher, so we'll we'll go to business first. There's a new business coming up right now, and I understand it's called uh, The 812 Show. What's uh, this all about? Yeah, I've just started a new uh, podcast, much like Big Talk, mm -hmm. although I can't begin to fill your shoes. Oh, you. Uh, but I'm focusing on uh, Bloomington City Government since I'm so familiar with it. So uh, the, the centerpiece of the show, it's a daily show, which is a half-hour interview, much like this one, with someone who is involved with some aspect that city government is concerned with. So an elected official, an appointed official like a city department head, uh, the member of a border commission, uh, the, the, uh, a a leader of a local not-for-profit. These are all the types of people who I'm interviewing to try to understand what they do and how they they uh, fit into the context of the city. Sort of a look behind the curtain, as it were? Sort of an explainer. Explain to me how this works. Explain to me how your job works. Explain to me what, what this issue is all about. Well, I guarantee people are going to want to be getting there right now. How do they get there? I sure hope so. The website, when it's working, and it, I'm hoping that the site will be working right away, is the812show.org. T-H-E, the word, 812show.org. Correct. Uh, that is the new podcast, How Government Works. Uh, well, what's the old line about making sausage? Uh, you don't want to see it being made. It tastes good, but yeah, you don't want to see it being made. Well, that's not always true. Yeah. Um, I think that if people understood why people make the decisions that they do, they wouldn't think that it was quite so sausagey, and uh, or at least in the turn in the making of it. You know, it, it it's my observation that there are several different groups of people out there. One group says. I understand that members of the city council and the heads of departments, mayors, governors, presidents, they're people, and they have a hundred different inputs, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And then there's another group that says, ah, they're all corrupt. Mm. They're all no good. Mm. How do you reach those people, for gosh sakes? That's a very good question. Um, you have to be willing to sit down with them and say, listen, I know you have your suspicions about how things work. I'd be happy to sit with you and talk as long as you want uh, you know, to explain to you why I make the decisions that I do, how I made the decisions that I did. It's not a mystery. It's just that most people don't want to pay as much attention as the ones you elected to do or the ones you're paying to pay attention to it. But it's basically uh, most people throw their hands up and suspect corruption because it's complicated yeah. because the world is complicated. Right. So – uh, and it's easier just to think, well, they're just venal, 
uh, people and they're easily corruptible. Everything's a bribe, and there it is. And right. corporations own everything, right? Which basically they do. <laughs> what, what is the what is the I forget the name Hanlon's Razor? I don't know if you've heard of that. What is that? Hanlon's Razor says uh, you shouldn't ascribe to malice that which can be explained by simple incompetence. Uh, so a variation, of, yeah, a variation of that is if you suspect conspiracy, maybe it's just it wasn't obvious that somebody sort of was freaked out, had to make a decision, and that's why. I was done. just about to say that negates uh, uh, 9-11 truthers and, uh, and all the rest, the COVID conspiracies, uh, they happen. Well, I read a quote about our guest this week, Steve Volan. Uh, here is the quote. He is full of more ideas than one person could ever implement. You've had a lot of ideas in your time. For instance, the Cinemat or Blue Marble. What was the Cinemat? Cinemat was a um, video store in the late, it was a late stage uh, video store. And uh, it was fun. What I really tried to do was build a third place. It was a video store that also had extra space to, um, to show movies and eventually concerts. Could you rent the, the videos? The, the, yeah. the, the videos were for rental, yeah. Okay. Back when video rental was still a good idea. A thing. Yeah, it was a thing. Uh, it closed in 2009. Uh, and this the business that occupies the space where it was now is known as the Bishop. But uh, the stage and the the walls, um, the, the layout of that building is, was uh, I, I built when it was the Cinemat. So it was a coffee house without the coffee. It was a coffee house for a while. We did have coffee. It just was not the most congenial environment for coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we converted it in 2004 to being a, a movie theater. And that was a little bit more successful. That was the Cinemat. What's Blue Marble? Blue Marble was the first company in Bloomington to provide access to the internet in 1995. So like AOL? Uh, like AOL um, before AOL. Wow. I mean, uh, we were local. There we was local nothing dialogue. before AOL. What are you talking about? That was, <laughs> that was like the, the pre-Cambrian well, era. I take it back. I mean, AOL was uh, a, a walled garden. I uh-huh. mean, uh, yeah. you could dial up, but you could only dial up to AOL. Yeah. Um, so this was access to the, the internet as a whole. Wow. Um, that was in January of 1995. So uh, that would have been 29 years ago this, this month. Well, what, what pushed you into that idea? Well, I'd been on the internet for a decade before that. I sent my first email in October of 1983. It was probably going through the Department of Defense at that time, for <laughs> God's sake. Well, actually, that was a big part of the then nascent internet. It wasn't called the internet. The internet was uh, a, a generic lowercase i term for uh, a network that could interact with other networks, yeah. like Milnet or ARPANET. Um, and uh, there was... Um, I mean, the, the people who were beta testing what would become the internet in the mid-'80s were college students. Uh-huh. I got online in, in 1983 and discovered that you could chat with people all over the world. You know, it was only by text. Back then, it was right. 24 by 80 characters and, you know, like, There were Amber chat Green. rooms. Yeah. I, uh, I met a girl online in 1985, and uh, I eventually 
asked her out in early 1986. I went on the first, I want to say, I argue that I went on the first internet date. <laughs> it was kind of a catastrophe. That's a story for another time. But yeah, so I was uh, sending, e- I, I'd like to say that I sent my first email in October of 1983. I got into my first flame war a week later. The, <laughs> the nature of the medium was you can't see people. And so it's easier to get shouty at yes. people. Yeah. And uh, that's proven to be quite the history of the world now. Trolls, we have become that. Trolls we have become have, what we have beheld. Right. But yeah. so I'm, I want to apologize now for inflicting the internet on Bloomington. Steve Volan, it's <laughs> your fault. It's my fault. Here is Steve Volan. He's running for Monroe County Commissioner of Penny Givens' seat, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yeah. What's going on with Penny? I think she's not made a decision yet whether she's going to run or not. Uh, that's true, but it's early days. Uh, there's a full month of filing, and you know, uh, that's that's not an indication that somebody won't run. You must like this business of being a politician. I, I like serving the public. I mean, I don't always like the uh, compromises you have to make to be political, but I understand them. Uh, but I I like serving the public. That's almost a dirty word compromise. In this day and age, I think one of the appeals of, say, Donald Trump is that he doesn't compromise. Mm -hmm. He says what he means, you know, that type of deal. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I beg to differ. Like, you have to find a way to, well, let me put it another way. In general, I found that I could break down the things I was saying into two different types. One of them was a variation of the question, can I cuss on the air? I can bleep it. Why can't you see why I'm right? Yeah. I was looking for vindication for my views. And the other things I would say were a variation of, I'm so sick of fighting. What is it, what is it that we can agree on? Uh-huh. So in my best times on council, I was looking for agreement. In my worst times, I was looking for vindication. And I would think of compromise as a form of agreement. I mean, let's find something we can all live with. Uh, if you want to call it compromise, it's because you're maybe too too stubborn to realize that I live here too, and we need to come up with some way to live together. Yeah. So agreement is a way of us living together. All right. Twenty years on the city council. Were you a leader, or were you a representative, or if you were both, what were the ratios? I don't know that I agree with the formulation of that question. I uh-huh. mean, you could be both. By All definition, right. everyone who I served with, regardless of how I felt about their particular stances on issues, was a leader. Uh, every one of them did representing. Some people, I would say, uh, did more representing or what they perceived to be representing of their constituencies and others. But the idea that somehow I can fully represent the opinions of 13,000 people equally is kind of absurd. You have to pick your lane. You have to choose a direction. Um, so I don't know how to answer that question. It's uh, I, I did both. I was leading and representing. I know you uh, are an inveterate reader. Hmm. For instance, uh, you were one of the first people, maybe the first I even remember, who got the book, The 99% Invisible City, A Field Guide to the Hidden World of Everyday Design. One of those books, it became a New York Times bestseller for a brief period of time, but one of those books that, as I say, uh, pulls the curtain aside and shows you how things actually work. 
And how necessary is it for you, the politician, the city council member, former, to be up on all of those academic books? I mean, there's not a lot of time to get academic. You have to make decisions. You have to make them within a short period of time. You can, I mean, I would like my colleagues to be educated. We get educated in council when an issue is presented to us. Right. And uh, that's one thing that I think surprises people is the, the breadth of knowledge that we have to have as council members. We, we have to be generalists. We have to know a little bit about everything because we're asked to make decisions. You on. have to know how water flows. We have to know how water flows. We need to know how um, the, the different conditions of building materials. We need to know um, how traffic works. We need yeah. to know uh, how long it takes to build a building. Uh, we need to know how people are being treated by various departments of the city or by various businesses around the city. We need to know lots of different things. You have to know how to pay bills. We have to know how to pay bills. We have to be human beings. Yeah. So we are. But, I mean, there's uh, the idea that, I mean, just just because I went into academia uh, while I was on council, partly because I was on council, I wanted to study more what I was uh, having facing every day as a council member. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can all be academics. You are still in the academic world. You teach chess. <laughs> if you can call it academic, sure. Yes, I teach a college course at IU called Intro to Chess. So these are kids who've never played before or? Well, these are adults. These are college students. Uh-huh. And uh, anyone is allowed to enroll in my class regardless of whether they've played before or not. But the class is specifically for uh, people. It, it's You can get credit at IU for learning how to play chess. And even though it sounds uh, flighty and it's one of the least important classes you could take at IU, I like to think that you can learn a lot from the task of having to play chess. Oh, there's no question about that. Uh, uh, it goes far beyond, oh, that the piece that looks like a horse moves in an L. <laughs> That's right. A little That's bit right. beyond that. It does yeah. go beyond that. But I mean, I, I tell my students, listen, this game will test your emotions. Yes. It'll test your ability to, th- to think under pressure. Uh, you, uh, I can tell a lot about a person from the way they behave around a chessboard. Uh, it, it's, it's not just, it's about self-development, not just about this technical thing. Steve Volan on January 1st of this year put an end to a 20-year career as a member of the Bloomington City Council. Uh, he had served uh, with a lot of hats in that council, and he, uh, he brushed the tears out of his eyes after his loss, even though he says he didn't uh, cry over it, <laughs> and decided that he's going to run for Monroe County Commissioner District 3 in this year's election. Steve, thanks for being on Big Talk. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.